The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Ms. Brianna. Take your Bibles, please, this morning with me and go to Romans chapter number 12. We're going to close out this chapter here as we've been studying on Sunday mornings through the book of Romans. And, of course, uh, started just a couple of weeks ago in this mini-series to finish off this uh, book of Romans uh, that we've entitled Transformed. Of course, we've looked at, through chapters 1 through 5, the fact that every single individual, every single person uh, that lives in this world has been born with a sin nature. And if they were to stand before God as in that sinful state, they would hear uh, guilty and they would experience that punishment and penalty in hell. But God didn't stop there when he was inspiring Paul to write this book. He continued on in chapters 6, 7, and 8. And the fact that God's grace is abundant to all of us through the spirit that has been given. Of course, we took a time uh, through chapters 9, 10, and 11, kind of parenthetical verse, uh, chapters there. Uh, we talked about God's sovereignty as he spoke d- directly to the uh, Jewish recipient in that church there as he wrote. But now we've come here to chapter number 12. Paul has, has spent considerable amount of time laying a solid foundation about salvation, that we know who we are, know who Jesus is, and know the need of Jesus for salvation, and of course laid that all out for a solid foundation. And now with all that knowledge that we have been able to learn and to receive, what does that mean? What, what is to happen with it? What takes place? And uh, we, have, we understand that as we accept Christ as our Savior, He gives us the Holy Spirit. As we yield to the Holy Spirit, He begins to do a work in our lives. That's why we saw in, in the first part of this chapter, of chapter number 12, that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. He wants us to be submitted, surrendered to Him, and so that He might be able to use us as He would desire to use us. With that being said, He's also equipped us. He's given us gifts. Uh, And every single one of us, when we accepted Christ as our Savior, we learned this last week, but when we accept Christ as our Savior, every single one of us has been given a gift that we can perform and a service to, to use for the Lord in His local church so that we might be able to do His work and His will. Now, so, so not everybody was here last week. Some of you have slept since last week, and you might not have remembered all of it. So let's just as a reminder of what we spoke about that last week and kind of drive it home once more is this. If you have, if you have any tools at your home, maybe you have a tool bag, maybe in your garage or a workshop you have a, 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 a workbench, maybe you have some drawers in there, maybe you've got the pegboard or whatever the case might be. But if you have any tools at, at the house, when you go to pick that tool up and use it, it doesn't get the job done until you have grabbed it. I don't know of any screwdriver that just gets up off the workbench of itself, goes over and screws in the screw or unscrews the screw to be able to fix whatever needs to be taken care of and uh, does it on its own. You have one like that? Because if so, I mean, share it with me, all right? Because there's plenty of projects around my house that could be done if somebody else would just do them, all right? And so that would just be wonderful. And, uh, but none of us have that. And so what I'm saying is that tool lies in wait for the one, the master, the owner of it to come along and to pick it up and to use it. That's how our lives ought to be. Totally surrendered to the work of God. 
not getting up and trying to do my own thing, not go, trying to go around and accomplish my own will, but just waiting on the Lord to work in my life as he pleases. You, you know this, that when I go and pick up that screwdriver to use or that hammer to use, it doesn't fight against me. I've never picked up a flathead screwdriver and went to go screw in or unscrew a screw and it bent over on itself and stabbed me in the, in the hand. Never has that ever happened. But a lot of times what happens while we're supposed to be the tool in God's hand, we fight against him so many a times. And that's not how it ought to be. We ought to be surrendered. Now listen, I've never picked up a hammer and the hammer smashed my thumb. I've smashed my thumb with a hammer but the hammer has never smashed my thumb on its own. The, it doesn't have any life of itself. And that's what it means to be a living sacrifice for us as believers. We're to be totally surrendered and submitted to the Lord so that he, we are a tool in his hands and for his use. Now, I have been guilty of using the wrong tool for a specific job. I've been the one who's taken a crescent wrench and used it as a hammer when I needed to nail something in. I've been the one who unwisely has used my knife as a screwdriver instead of a, a regular screwdriver, and I've broken off the tips of, uh, of knives and things like that. You understand, although sometimes using the wrong tool still gets the job done, it isn't as efficient, is it? And can I say this morning, there's plenty of people in this church today that could fulfill a lot of roles in this church, but you have a specific place to fulfill. There's a specific place a specific job to fulfill as a Christian in this church. And if you would do it, it'd be a whole lot more efficient than if I would do it. That's what God's trying to say. That's what we're try what was trying to get across here is the fact that we're just supposed to submit ourselves to the Lord for his use. And if we would just submit ourselves to his use and be used where he has made us to be used, the church would just roll along like it's supposed to roll along. The problem happens when we fight against the Lord and don't surrender and we won't do the job that God has made us to do, guess what? Somebody else that wasn't made for that job has to fulfill that job. Does the job get done a lot of times? Yeah, a lot of times. But does it get done as easily and as efficient as it could have if you would have done it, the one that was made for it? No. And when we don't get surrender to the Lord, when we don't fill our place in the gifts that he's given us, guess what? The church truly is hindered. The body isn't functioning on all cylinders like it could now that's just a recap of last week let's jump into what we're going to talk about this morning as we pick up in verse number nine we find that paul is moving along and he says all right here's what you've learned about salvation here's the knowledge that you've gained with the knowledge that you've been given, here's how it ought to affect your life. It ought to affect you to becoming a living sacrifice, totally surrendered to the Lord. As you're totally surrendered to the Lord, the Lord has equipped you with a, with a gift to be able to fulfill a specific purpose, a specific, specific position, something that you can accomplish in the Lord's will and His work. You just need to surrender to doing it in His way and in His will and let Him use you in that way. But now as we go throughout life, we're going to encounter people that aren't living for the Lord. They're saved, they're believers, but we're going to encounter people that aren't living for Him, that are not surrendered for Him. We're going to encounter people that don't even believe in God, that would just want to fight everything that, God believe, that we believe in about God as well. And we read here in verses 9 through the rest of this chapter what Paul says as we yield to the Holy Spirit, 
ought to be our, the marks of a child of God, the character traits of a child of God. Let me put it to you this way. Maybe the birthmarks of a child of God. I don't know if you have a birthmark or, or, or not, but if you have a birthmark, do you understand that you didn't create it? You were born with it. You didn't just one day take a Sharpie and say, ooh, I'd like to have a birthmark right here in my arm. It was given to you when you were born. You were born with it. And just as you were born with that birthmark, my friend, I'm here to tell you this morning that as a born-again believer, as a born-again child of God, there's going to be some characteristics that just ought to come natural to the believer. And they will be manifested when we are surrendered to the work and to the will of God in our life. So pick up reading with me in verse number 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Given the hospitality. Bless them which, are, uh, which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the mind, uh, of the same mind, one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Uh, be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place uh, but rather give place to wrath, unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Our Father, we come to you this morning, and we ask that you just bless everything that takes place. Give me the words to speak as I deliver your word here today. Lord, I'd ask now that you'd help us to hear from your word, that we'd have open ears and open hearts ready to receive and to apply your word. Lord, I ask now that most of all you be honored and glorified and praised and magnified and exalted in worship in everything that we say and do here today. Lord, I would ask that your will would be accomplished. And Lord, if there is someone here this morning, as we hear about these character traits, these marks of a child of God that does not know you, that these traits, these desires from you for us as believers, uh, as they hear these things, that they would understand their need of you today that they would turn to you before it's eternally too late. Lord, I ask that you would just bless and that your will would be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just a little insight into how, how the planning and such for messages uh, and things that are delivered from the pulpit here by me anyways are, are done. Uh, about this time of the year or so, I start praying and looking ahead, maybe even a little earlier, looking ahead into the next year and asking the Lord to give me insight and asking the Lord to guide me as to what he would have me to preach and, and maybe topics or specific bi uh, book studies that we would go through. Currently on Sunday mornings, we're in the book of Roman. Romans. On Sunday nights, we're in the book of Luke. On Wednesday nights, we're in the book of Daniel. Here in a few weeks when we finish Daniel, def I, I, uh, we've already got that plan. We're going to be moving into the book of Revelation as they kind of ha go hand in hand as well. We've still got several weeks. It's going to be next year before we're done with the book of Romans. 
it might be 2022 before we're done with the book of Luke, all right? I'm just being honest with you there. But nevertheless, uh, I, I, I pray, I look ahead, I try to schedule out, if you want to call it a sermon calendar, that's how I do it. So at least this time last year, I was praying about beginning a series in the book of Romans starting this year, and we started it in February. Now, as I studied through the book of Romans, and as I read the book of Romans, I understand, have an idea of what it holds and what each chapter or segment or section deals with. And I had an idea after looking at the, the natural breakdown of the book, the grammatical structure and the paragraphs and all of that, where what chapters and verses I could be covering around this time, but there was no for sure uh, knowledge of we will definitely be doing these verses on, uh, on November 8th of 2020. After all, we don't know what delays might be found. When we started this, this series, coronavirus had just kind of reared its ugly head, and we, ne- we would have never known the delays and the changing of our church structure and the services that we would hold and all that type of thing at that time. We've had different uh, speakers in, and we've had guests in, and, and different things have caused us to have to pause and to do all that, but can I say that God is good all the time? Because as we read in this portion of scripture, and even next week it gets even more uh, relative to what we're experiencing today. Over the last nine months or so, we have been thrust into a crazy time in our life. Many of us have been separated in some instances from friends or loved ones to where we haven't had that social contact with them like we maybe normally would have. Some of you in your workplace, you don't even work at your workplace. You're working from home still, even at this point. Or you did it for a period of time at the very least. And all of that has led to a major impact on the psyche and on the emotions of the individual. And you want to know why it has caused that? Because God created us as social beings. Let's never forget that. And we've got social media, but social media is not truly very social. But nevertheless, we find here that as we have been created as social beings, we long for that interaction with others, and we've been told, for the safety of everyone, stay away. And it's caused us all this grief, and it's caused us all this heartache, and the emotional state of many people in our world today is at an all-time low. There is a major, a major issue with emotional health. Then, in some instances, jobs started opening back up. People started saying, all right, come back to the office, but there's going to have to be some changes in this way. It came a little more acceptable to meet together with folks and all of that. But because we had been isolated with just ourselves, and we've been filling our minds with social media, and most of the time what happens on social media, all of our friends think exactly like us most of the time. And so what we've done is we've, we've entered ourselves in isolation into an echo chamber. So everything we believed is being echoed, echoed back by the people that we are friends with on social media because they believe it also. And we're like, oh yeah, we're all, we got the right thing going. I believe this, and this is my mindset, and this is my, what I think about, and we believe all the same thing, and so this is how it's going to be. And then election day comes along, and then maybe for some it went their way, maybe for a bunch of others it didn't go their way. We're thinking, how in the world did it happen that way? All of my friends, everyone in the world said they were voting a certain way. Because we filled our, our, our lives as an echo chamber. 
with only people who believe just like us. So now, because we're out and about, now people are being a little more vocal about things, and we find out that people we work with or people we know don't actually believe exactly like us. But because we've been stuck in an isolation and in an echo chamber for all this time, we don't have any clue on how to interact with one another. Now we're fighting. We're bickering. And we might have someone that pops up on social media that doesn't think like us, and they express their opinion. And then all of a sudden, now we express our opinion. And it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and fighting and bickering and fighting and bickering and fighting and bickering. And my friends, here's what I'm trying to say this morning. We have lost all knowledge of how to react and interact with one another. But Paul has done a great job already laying the foundation of what really matters most, salvation. Eleven chapters doing that. Now he's speaking about how it imp impacts us on the daily life and how God wants to transform us and how we ought to respond and to react with one another. It starts with our surrender to the Lord. It is enabled by the gifts that he has given us. But now he's delivering to us what is expected of us as children of God. If you are saved here this morning, if you know Christ as your Savior, these marks ought to come natural to us as long as we're yielded to the Spirit. But if we're walking in the flesh, these, these marks will be totally the opposite of natural to us. They will be something that we wish never was even spoken of in the Word of God. And I've, I've spent a lot of time on an introduction already. You know, we've got a lot to cover this morning. I hope that you'll stay with me. But notice with me, as Paul begins to speak about these marks of the child of God, notice how he speaks of, number one, our character. In verses 9 through 13, these verses deal specifically with our Christian character and what it's expected to be. And I'm just going to go quickly. I promise I, 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 we, we could spend a whole lot more time than what we will this morning on this. But I notice as we consider, as Paul speaks about our Christian character, notice verse number nine with me again. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. See, we find that when it comes to our character as Christians, that our character ought to be real. My friend, we, our love for one another and the love for those around us ought to be genuine without hypocrisy here's what happens a lot of times we come to church we call the church our church home or our church family but we struggle and we fight and we put in our lives this need to have to put on a fake face and pretend that we truly like everyone here maybe deep down inside you're really struggling with all this and you and you're just like the whole way to church, maybe the husband is just having a bad time. I don't even know why I'm coming to church today. The wife's like, honey, you have to go to church. Set a good example for the kids. Don't preach at me, woman. You know, all this type of thing going on. And maybe that type of thing's going on or whatever the case might be. You get out of the car and the best that you can, you put on a big smile. Hey, brother. Good to see you this morning. Bless God. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's a good to be in church today. I was glad when they said unto me, like Dan, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. 
when that couldn't be further from the truth. But you put on a good face and put on a good act and pretend to love your fellow brother and sister in Christ. It ought not be an act, my friend. It ought to be true. Why? Because we've experienced the love of God. See, if I don't love somebody else, that's natural to the flesh. Because that's how I'm made in sin. When I've experienced the love of God, that ought to overwhelm me. And that ought to exude out of my life. So that I can truly love someone who's not much like me. We've got a pretty diverse crowd. I'd love for it to be even more diverse, honestly. But even in our differences, I can still love you. Because my love is genuine in Christ, not based off of how much we're alike. See, our, our love ought to be genuine, but our stance against evil or our hate for evil things ought to be genuine as well. It ought to be real. We ought to be real, not just at church, because if, if you're just real at church, then you're not really real anyways. But you ought to be real 24-7. So the things that you agree with from the word of God on Sunday morning ought to be the things you agree with from the word of God on Monday morning. And the things that you agree that are against the word of God on Sunday night when you come to the Sunday evening service ought to be the things that you agree that are against the word of God on Thursday night as well. Because we ought to be real all the time. Can I also state this? That real love does not mean 100% acceptance. Any parents in here know that when a child disobeys, they punish the child for the good of the child. Why? Because they love the child. Not because they hate the child. See, you say, the child might think that they punish because they hate them. But truly, the punishment is to save them from something that will truly harm them. For me to say, well, because I love people, I have to accept every lifestyle, is truly not love at all. At all. Because if I have to accept your sin and your wickedness, to be able to love you, my acceptance is truly just pushing you away from God. Giving you a false pretense that God accepts that. My friend, the Bible is, is, could say that's nothing more than, the fur, nothing further than the truth. Because we understand this morning that just because someone lives a certain way doesn't mean I have to accept it in order to still love them. For me, telling them the truth of the matter is truly sharing the love of God. What I'm saying this morning is, in our character as believers, we ought to be real. Today and tomorrow. And Tuesday again and Wednesday. And every single day of our life, our, we ought to live as a real believer every moment of every day. You ever heard somebody say, well, I don't go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. Well, I hope they don't go to Walmart or to any place else because they're filled with hypocrites also. But let us not be the ammunition. Let us not be the ammunition that gives them the ability to say those things. Let's live real as a Christian. Verse number 10 tells us that our character not only should be real, verse number 9, but verse number 10 says our character should be gracious. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. The affection that is being spoken of here is actually being spoken of in the context of a family. So what is being said here is that we ought to be affectionate to one another in the same way that we would be affectionate to our family. 
So that means that although by blood, Evan and I are not family, we are family in Christ. And I ought to show the same care and love and concern for him and his family as I would for my own family. And everyone throughout this whole auditorium, every child of God ought to have that same graciousness to one another and be affectionate one to another. We are told to love the fellow believer and those around us as we would love our own families. And this love would be a love that is aware of and sensitive to the needs of others. I wonder, I said a little bit about this back at the beginning of the service about showing yourself friendly. But I wonder, have we fallen into the trap of becoming self-focused and forgotten about the fact that there are plenty of people that we know in our world today that are struggling? Are we sensitive to it? Have we reached out at all? Have we sent any type of a note, a card, or any type of thing, any text message, a, a contact? Have you made a visit? Have you sent a text message, a, a Facebook message? Any, whatever the case might be, I'm just saying, have you thought about someone else? We understand that our character ought to be real, it ought to be gracious. Our character ought to be fervent in verse number 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We find here, friends, that the Bible tells us that as we go throughout our daily routine and whatever business we have in life, we ought not do it in a slothful manner. You want to know why that's important? Because we represent our God. And we, get, we, we share a testimony of who He is everywhere we go and the way that we live and the places that we are at. It'd be a shame to walk into your workplace and find out that the believer is the laziest worker there. That shares a horrible testimony for the things of God. We ought to work hard. We ought to give our all for, uh, for that job that we, have give, that we are working in. Why? Because ultimately God's given it to us. And ultimately we are not serving or working for that boss or employer. We're working for the Lord himself. The scripture teaches us that. So we ought not be slothful. We ought, we ought to live fervently, if you may. And we find here that he goes on not only to say that it ought to not be slothful in business, but be, to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I, I weary at the believer who does give more effort to the worldly employment than they do for the service of the Lord in the church. I'm not to, here to say that you must come and give 40 hours a week at the church. But it does boggle my mind to think that there will be some that will give 40, 50, 60, 70 hours in a workplace. And when there's an opportunity to serve God at the church house, they run from it. We're not to be slothful in the world, nor are we to be slothful in the church house either, my friends. We are to work for the Lord. We are to be serving the Lord fervent in our spirit. Our character ought to be real, it ought to be gracious, it ought to be fervent, it ought to be steadfast, according to verse number 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. My friend, we are going to experience trials, we're going to experience problems, we're going to experience pain, but don't let those things shake us to our core. If the results of this election have shaken you, your faith was in the wrong place. Regardless of whether or not it's shaken you to rejoice or shaken you to fret, your, your faith was in the wrong place. Our faith is in the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
My friend, we read through Scripture that we are to be steadfast. We read here in verse number 12 that we are to be steadfast. Our character as a Christian ought to be that of such as saying, you know what? When the troubles come, because they are going to come, the first place I go is to my knees in prayer to the Lord. And I'm going to give it to Him. I'm going to rest in His, in His power and His might. We see that our character ought to be compassionate, as it says in verse number 13 as well. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given the hospitality. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 2, Paul writes, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so, so fulfill the law of Christ. In James chapter 2 and verse number 15 and 16, James speaks about the fact if you have a friend that is in need, if your brother or sister was naked and they came to you for help, and you said, well, I hope that you'll go and have a good day, but you never provide the clothing that they need, what good was it? My friend, we ought to be compassionate as believers. We ought to show care for one another, not only those that are brothers and sisters in Christ, but understand that our work and our care and our giving to those who are truly in need in this world, even if they don't know Christ, shares a great testimony of the love of Christ. We see, number one, our character as believers. What is the marks of God's children? Well, their character will be real. Their character will be gracious, be fervent, be steadfast, will be compassionate. But number two, notice with me in verses 14 through 17, our cooperation. Verse number 14 says, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, be, uh, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. See, as Christian character is developed and then expressed openly, it leads us to cooperation amongst believers and cooperation to being able to get along with those even who do not believe as well. You know, in order to cooperate, to be able to have that unity, I believe chapter, uh, chapter 12 and verse number 14 instructs us that sometimes we're going to need some restraint. Look at what verse number 14 says. Bless them that persecute you. That's the opposite of what we want to do normally, isn't it? Someone who attacks us or fights against us, we want to attack right back. But Paul, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes that we are to bless those that persecute us. He also says in verse number 14, bless and curse not. In order to do that, it's going to take some restraint on our end. I have my opinions. I have my viewpoints. And let me say this. If the word of God says it's true, that settles it. We don't bend on that. If the word of God is against it, that settles it. We don't bend on that. But I will say this. If someone is upset with me because of my position on the word of God, that's their problem. But if someone is upset at me because of my disposition, then that's on me. Because I'm not to be one that is antagonistic in things. I'm to, to, I'm to exalt and I'm to, to, to live to exalt the Lord as well. I have my own opinions. I have my own viewpoints. And since we're in this political season, I posted last night on Facebook. It was good. It was good. It was good advice. Turn off the news. Get some rest, go to church. All right? The first comment that came on it was from fam a family member. And they said, thank God Trump will be out of the White House soon. Now, listen, listen. 
I think the, 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 I, I, I think the mindset was he's fed up with both sides, is what it, what it boils down to. Nevertheless, I immediately wanted to say, okay, which one of these things didn't you enjoy? A booming economy? The fact that at the, as we come out of a, a, uh, a pandemic, the third quarter economy grew over 30, uh, 33%, uh, lower gas prices, uh, you know, and we could just go on and on. Which, which one of these things did you not enjoy while he was in the White House, right? That was what I wanted to say. But I didn't say anything. <laughs> it took some restraint, and not tooting my own horn saying that I'm some mighty spiritual Christian. It, went everything, it was against everything that was within me to not say something back. But there's just some hills that aren't worth fighting on. Just some, because listen, my little however many character comment isn't going to change anyone's mind when it comes to that. Now, if someone is co completely bashing and disrepresenting the word of God, my characters, even if it's going to change their mind or not, I'm still going to say something because I stand on the word of God. But when it came to that, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. You ever been in a situation where Maybe you're talking in church and somebody says something, you're like, excuse you? <laughs> and you want to say something, sometimes it's just best to bite your tongue and not say anything. See, to have true unity and have cooperation amongst the believers of God, it will sometimes take restraint. You ever have somebody that do something to you and you think, why did they do that? What in the world is wrong with them? You think, you feel like you were attacked in that situation? You know what? Maybe they didn't mean anything by it, honestly. And maybe we just need to walk away and bless them, that curse does. Not, and we are to bless, not curse. See, if we're going to have cooperation, we're going to have unity in the church, it's going to be because we show restraint. Number, verse number 15 tells us it's going to be because we show empathy as well. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Listen, honestly, sometimes our pride gets in the way in both ends. You've been at work and you felt like you were up for a promotion and that you deserved that promotion. And maybe somebody else that works with you, they did a, a, a good job and they worked hard as well. And they got the promotion over you. Were you have you ever had that opportunity where you felt like, well, they deserved it, but I really wanted it, and you were just struggling with being able to be happy for them. Why? Because our pride gets in the way. Or maybe you find someone who's having a hard time, and, and they're just really down in the dumps, and your mind, you, in your mind you think, well, they have to be sad about. If they knew what problems I was experiencing, what is that? That's just pride on both ends. But that's not how we're supposed to respond. We're supposed to show empathy with one another. And in our Christian, as our Christian character is developed, it's going to be expressed so that cooperation within the church takes place and that unity is found. And that is only going to be found if we sometimes show restraint. And in other times we have empathy with one another. And it's ultimately going to take humility as well, as it states in verse number 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. As we spoke even, even last week, listen, we all have a part to play. And we need to be humble enough to say, Lord, your will, 
over mine. Because when, when I get in the way, then my pride gets in the way. And I will not cooperate. There's going to be retribution as well. Verse number 17, recompense to no man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Here is what we want to do. When we feel like we've been wronged, we want to say, I'll show them. But we instead are supposed to, if we're going to recompense anything, we're supposed to recompense good, not evil things. Let me close this morning with number three, and I'm just going to highlight the three, these, these, these points underneath it, and we're going to close. Number three, notice our constraint. The, the marks of a child of God are the, the Christian character. It is our cooperation. It is our constraint. And in our constraint, we are to live in a peaceably, it says, with all men. Verse number 18. But notice those first four words. I want you to say them out loud with me, all right? Verse number 18, first four words. Say it ready. If it be possible. All right. The Apostle Paul was human also. Inspired by God. No doubt, we understand that. But he's human also, and he, it's like he knew that just so, some people will not get along with anyone. It's like, it's like he knew there was just some people out there that were always going to live contrary. But he said, if it's possible, we ought to, to live peaceably. You ever heard it? It takes two to tango, right? So me and Colton have a dispute. If we are going to live peaceably with one another, I've got to seek it, and so does he also. Some people just are, are against it. They will not seek peace. Maybe the only way I'm able to live peaceably at that point is to just stay away from that individual. But I ought to seek it. I ought not seek out fighting. I ought not seek out warring with someone else. I ought not seek out trying to have all type of, uh, uh, of, of fighting and bickering with someone else. We're to live peaceably. We're also to live patiently in verse number 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. There are a lot of Christians that like to take that verse and they like to go right up to that semicolon after it says vengeance is mine. And then they insert their own wording and say, vengeance is mine. See, God even says so. But that's not how it works, my friend. He said, he will take care of you. But it's in his time. We might feel like justice is never served. But God is always right. And he's got his hand right where it ought to be. We're to be proactive, it says in verse number 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in, doing, uh, so in, for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Let me say this, that we are not always going to see eye to eye with everyone, but we always ought to share the love of God with everyone. And it's not going to happen by chance. Because in our flesh, we want to react like we just spoke about. We want to react in vengeance. That's why we've got to be proactive. We've got to be purposeful in saying, God, I'm going to share your love with those who even fight against you and hate me. That's where we see in verse number 21 as he closes, kind of this summary statement. It, it practically envelops this whole portion of Scripture that we've been speaking about. And he says there in verse number 21, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. If we could wrap up this whole portion of Scripture in just a few phrases or a few, uh, few statements, it's that one right there. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. The only way to do that is to live with a pure heart. And if we're going to live with a pure heart, that means we have to be submitted to the Spirit. Because our heart is desperately wicked. But the only way that we'll have that pure heart 
is when we submit to the Spirit. Truly, I've not shared any mind-boggling, deep, unknown truths of Scripture today. I've not said anything that was like, I'm sure you sat there and said, wow, I never heard that before. Truly, very simple admonition from the Lord. But oh, how hard it is to live it. Simple to hear, but a whole lot harder to live. But have you ever thought about this, my friends? If the Lord said to do it, he's going to give you the ability to live it. He's not going to ask you to do something that you can't do. That's why he didn't ask you to save yourself. Because you can't save yourself. That's why he provided the way of salvation. And if we were to be truly honest, these things that we've spoken about today aren't done in and of our own flesh anyway. It's, it, they're able to be accomplished after we have yielded ourselves to him and given our will over to his will. And then these things are made evident in our life. But I wonder today, if someone were to be able to come along and say, what marks that individual? Would, it be the, would they state the marks of a child of God? That person has a character that is just always real. They're gracious. Their character is fervent. They're steadfast. They're compassionate. Would our, co would our cooperation speak to the fact that we are God's child? Or are we constantly bickering and fighting with folks? Not just outwardly, but also in the church itself. I wonder, would they see the mark of our constraint? Of being able to be peaceful, to be patient, to be proactive and pure. Because these are the marks of a child of God. Remember what I said about the, the uh, birthmark? You didn't give yourself a birth, birthmark, you were born with it. And these marks are not something that you just make happen in your life. They're given to you by God at the birth of a spiritual person that's at salvation. And they are able to be seen when we yield ourselves to his Holy Spirit. Would you stand to your feet with me, please, today? As we close our eyes and our, we bow our heads this morning as we enter into, into a time of invitation. I want to make sure we all understand that none of this is accomplished. None of this is capable outside of Jesus Christ. And as we've spoken about these things, and maybe you've been in your life and you said, man, I feel like I try and I try and I try and I fail and I fail and I fail. Well, that's the problem. Quit trying. Because when you're trying, it's your strength. You say, I'm going to fix this. No, you're not. It might last for a few hours, but it's not going to last for a peri uh, uh, any period of time. The only way that this change really takes place is when we surrender to the Lord. We say, God, you're my, I am yours to do as you please. You know who says that? The one who's experienced Christ for salvation. You're never going to be able to say that and truly mean it. If you don't know Christ as your Savior. As we've spoken about these things this morning, I wonder if there's someone here this morning who would say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I've ever experienced salvation in Christ. 
Well, my friend, the Bible tells us that he loves you and that he died for you and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to give you salvation if you would just simply trust him. I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. And if I died right now, I know I'd stand before God and I'd enter into heaven and I would be there for all of eternity. Could I rejoice with you this morning? Just slip your hand up and right back down. Hands all across this auditorium. I'm so grateful to be in the midst of other believers here this morning. But I wonder if there would be someone here who would be honest. Be honest with God this morning. Be honest with yourself. And with just me watching here this morning, who would say, Pastor, honestly, I am not sure that heaven's my home. There's no way I could obtain. There's no way that I could do and live the type of life you've just got done speaking about from the Bible because I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. The good news is you don't have to leave here today not knowing him. You can know him today because he gave his life for you. And if you would just trust him, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He gave his life because he loves you. He died on Calvary's cross because he loves you. He was sent and put in a tomb because he loves you. And he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave because he's God. And he did it to be able to give you a home in heaven. He did it so that you might have a relationship with him. And he says, if you'll just believe that I died for you and trust me as the only way, I'll save you. Now, if you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor, honestly, I'm not sure that heaven's my home. I'm not sure if I died today that I'd go to heaven. I can't fix that for you. I can't pray you into heaven. That's something you have to choose. You have to call on Jesus yourself. But if you're here this morning and you're not sure that you're saved, I sure would like to pray for you that the Lord would give you the faith to trust Him. That He'd give you the courage to ask someone to show you from the Word of God how you could know for sure that heaven's your home. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you allow me the privilege of praying for you today? Just slip your hand up and write back down. Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure that heaven is my home. Anybody like that this morning? And one last question. How many here would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. All that's settled. All the things that Paul dealt with in Romans chapter 1 through chapter number 11, that squared away. And having studied through those things, it's helped me to understand a lot of things. But now as I have that knowledge of what Christ has done for me, I now see how it's supposed to affect me. I'm supposed to surrender to the Lord. I'm supposed to offer myself a living sacrifice to Him, to His use and to His will. And as I do that, these things will become evident in my life. These, the, these marks of God's children will be exuding from my life, my character, my cooperation, my constraint. How many here would say, Pastor, pray with me that moment by moment of every single day, I would live yielded to God so that he might do his work that only he can do in me. Could I pray with you this morning? My hand is up. Just slip your hand up and right back down. Hands all across this auditorium this morning. And I pray that that is not just something that you've done because you were afraid somebody else was looking and would judge you for not raising your hand. I truly pray that it is your prayer that God would work in you and that you'd be yielded to him. I'm going to pray once and the, the piano is going to play. As the piano plays, if the Lord's spoken to your heart and you'd like to come down here to the steps and make it an old-fashioned altar, I'd encourage you to bow humbly before God and say, God, here's my heart. Here's my will. Replace it with yours. And however the Lord might have spoken into your heart, maybe it was something we've spoken about in one of these areas, maybe in the character. 
maybe in our cooperation, maybe in how we need to live peaceably, whatever the case might be, would you give it to God today? Or say, Lord, here is my heart, and I'm letting you do the work that only you can do. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, have your will and your way in this invitation. And Lord, we ask now that, uh, that we would just move as you have called. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano begins to play, the altars are open. If the Lord spoke into your heart, would you do business with him today? Would you say, God, here's my heart. Here's the things that are happening in my life. Here's where I feel like I've missed the mark, maybe. And you may have tried, and you might have tried, and you might have tried, and you might have worked. But listen, my friend, it is a work that we have not danced. Would you just surrender? Would you just say, God, I let go of my plan. I let go of my will. I let go of my desires. Give me yours, God. I just want to be a tool that is used in your hands. I want to be a vessel that you work your will and your way in through my life. I don't know where the Holy Spirit might have pricked your heart. But if he has, would you give him that, that part of your life? Would you say, God, here it is. Here's my pride. Here's my compassion. I haven't been as compassionate as I ought to be. Here's my service. Here's my plan and here's my will. We're going to finish this stanza here. We're going to close the invitation. The Lord spoke in your heart. so much. You can be seated quickly this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, for our guests that are with us this morning, we're so glad that you made uh, Mountain Vista Baptist your, a part of your day. And for our veterans, thank you again. Thank you so much for your service uh, to our country so that we might be able to stand here today like we do. We're going to have a video. We call our up next video just highlighting a few things that are up and coming. And I hope that if you can be a part of any of those that you'll mark your calendar, you'll make plans to be there. And if you need to sign up, get signed up today so that we might be able to make plans for you there. But let's find out what's coming up next here at Mountain Vista Baptist Church. Hello and welcome to Mountain Vista Baptist Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a guest, I hope that you'd pick up one of those guest connection cards at the end of your row and after the service, trade it for a free gift out in our lobby. But stay tuned to see what's coming up next right here at Mountain Vista Baptist Church. Join us Monday, November the 16th at 6 in the evening for our annual Gideon Soldiers Dinner. I would invite you to come be a part so you can learn more about the ministry and uh, pray about how we might be able to do our part to pay off our church's debt and to reduce our mortgage. Uh, if you have any questions about the program, feel free to ask. You can find some more information at our information desk as well out in the lobby. Uh, but that's Monday, November the 16th at 6 in the evening, and we'd love for you to participate.